welcome to Novel Finds, the podcast where we talk about your favorite books, our favorite books, and everything in between. Hey, it's me, Maggie, and I am very excited to be hosting an author interview today. I'm pretty heckin' jazzed about this one. I wish I could hold my cool a little bit, but I am a little bit of an Emily Henry girly, so I'll try not to fangirl too much. But I am here with Emily Henry to talk about her new book, Happy Place. Emily, how are you doing? Oh my gosh, I'm great. That was such a sweet intro. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, anytime, anytime. I We are very excited that you are here on the podcast, and I'm just so happy to be interviewing you. So Emily, I don't want to dive in right away, but warm-up question. What would you say is the Taylor Swift album that best matches the overall vibe of Happy Place? Yeah. Okay. This is so hard. Even though you did prepare me for this, uh, like at least a full day ahead of time, I am having a really hard time because Midnight's is so fresh in my in my head. And I feel like Maroon as a song really feels um like happy place but then the rest of midnight's like midnight's is just like kind of all over like there's so much different going like stuff going on so i i am would say i would say midnight's but then i'm like well maybe maybe some red vibes too sure some nostalgia yeah 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 exactly one of the heartbreaking ones probably (laughs) Absolutely. <laughs> just the 10 minute all too well. <laughs> ultimately, it is. Yeah. Ultimately, it's more that, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> well, Emily, would you mind um, just giving us a brief, brief synopsis of your new book, Happy Place, and a little bit about yourself as an author? Sure. So Happy Place is the story of Harriet and Wynn, who've been a couple since they got together in college about eight years before the book takes place. And part of their relationship has been taking this really magical trip with their shared group of best friends every summer to um, a family cottage on the coast of Maine. And it's what Harriet looks forward to all year long. It's kind of like the one constant in her life. And uh, five years before, or five months before this year's trip, she and Wynn secretly break up and they put off telling their friends. So she is going to go on the trip alone and come clean to them, let them know that they are no longer a couple. However, when she gets there, Wynn is already there. And it turns out that their friend who owns the cottage is selling it. And this is kind of their last hurrah. It's their like chance to say goodbye to the end of an era and um, just embrace all of their traditions one more time and and reminisce and all of that. And so, like you said, there's like a lot of nostalgia. Um, I think Mm -hmm. that that's kind of the defining feeling of the book, but Harriet and Wynne decide that they will let their friends have this one last perfect week before they kind of implode the whole friend group with the news that they're no longer a couple. So that is the setup of the book. As far as myself as an author I'm like I don't know gosh um so yeah I this is my fourth romantic comedy sometimes those lean more toward romance sometimes they lean more toward comedy this one I I mean there's still a lot of jokes in there and there's some kind of ridiculous scenarios that this former couple finds themselves in but it is a second chance love story and so because of that there's a lot of history and a lot of angst and unresolved feelings so 
there's uh, a little bit more of a melancholy tone to it. Um, and yeah, it's also like a story of friendship. I think all of my books, there's like, even though there's usually a romance kind of front and center, there's some other relationship that I'm also really interested in exploring, like with Beach Read. Um, the main character, January, is not only falling in love, but she's also like dealing with the grief of losing her father. And uh, book lovers, it's like a story about sisters, even though it's also, you know, a romantic love story. So for this one, it is a second chance romance, but it's also about this group of friends and the growing pains that their friendship is withstanding and kind of uh, figuring out what comes next and how they can move forward when maybe their lives are pulling them all in slightly different directions. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things that I really do enjoy about your books, and I think is one of the things that sort of draws me to them, is that you have the incredible romance, but you also have, you know, your characters dealing with things that are outside of the main romantic relationship, whether that is you know, grief, friendships, anxieties. So what would you say, I guess, in all of your books, but then specifically in, in Happy Place comes to you first in terms of story? Ooh, ooh, okay. Yeah, so um, Beach Read, the very first thing was just the setting. I, I knew I wanted to write that kind of story on the shore of Lake Michigan. And then because I had no other, <laughs> no ideas, like no other context whatsoever for this book, it became a book about writer's block. And so that was kind of like what drew the whole, the, what, what created the whole thing. And with people we, we meet on vacation, again, it was sort of setting, which is interesting because that book is told across like 12 years of vacation, basically. And all of them are different settings. But I was trying to figure out like where I wanted to set my next book and everywhere mm -hmm. that I could think of was just a place I knew as like a, a guest, as a tourist, not as like I've lived there. And so I had already been kind of looking for an interesting structure for the book. And at that point it kind of clicked like, oh, I could write a book that's like takes a, takes place across all of these different vacations. And you can kind of see the characters in different environments. So again, setting was kind of the first thing there. Um, with book lovers, the first thing was definitely Nora, the narrating character. I like really wanted to tell a story about the type of woman that you kind of see as the villain in a lot of um, romantic comedies and also just like career career movies like The Devil Wears Prada. I feel like Miranda Priestley's character is like a good example. Just like this high power yeah. woman who walks into the office and like throws her bag at her assistant and is just like, doesn't have time for anyone's bullshit. And uh, I think that we're clearly as a culture fascinated with that character because she shows up again and again, but I wanted to like center her and be like, Oh, who is she? So that was how that one started. And for this one, it the, really the premise was this, this couple's trip, this idea of this friend, this friendship group that's like all made up of couples. And um, what would happen if one of the couples on this like yearly trip was actually no longer a couple. So it was like a play on fake dating, a play on second chance romance um, and kind of like an homage to the 1940s comedies of remarriage uh, movies. Amazing. I, I love that. That I think it's really interesting that sort of all of your books have um, started from from a, such a different place. So something I did notice, and I think this is like an accidental pattern, but every other book has had 
not similar themes, but like teachers and book lovers were both about books. And then yeah, vacation and happy place were like longtime friends or lovers finding each other. Did that happen on purpose? Yeah. <laughs> it didn't happen on purpose, but I think it makes sense because I'm like every book that I write, I think ends up being in a way like a reaction to the last book, which mm. is kind of funny because I remember in college, I took um, a Jane Austen class that was so fun. It was like basically just a semester long Jane Austen book club. And then that I had to like write a couple of papers. Yeah, it was really wonderful. And it was taught by these very, very sweet um elderly would say I, 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 has, I hope they don't hear this gentlemen like two, two different professors and they were just both so sweet and kind of like hobbit like and loved Jane Austen so anyway I remember writing this paper for the, that class being like it's so interesting because basically just like arguing that every book was kind of just a like a retelling of a different character from the the last book's thing. And I don't remember the logic of all of it, but the thing that I think still stands up really clearly is that in Pride and Prejudice, we have Jane, who's like the older, like, like you know, just kind of stable, steady sister. And then we have Lizzie, who's like the wild, like, you know, young one um, who is, or not wild, I don't know, just like kind of precocious, whatever. And then in uh, Sense and Sensibility, it's like the opposite, which I guess I think those published in the opposite order. So it would be Marianne and Eleanor and Marianne is like free spirited. And it's 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 still more like it's that one's more Eleanor's story. And then Pride and Prejudice is very much Lizzie's story. And it feels kind of like Jane Austen was like, okay, I wrote about that sister. Like <laughs> I wrote about the steady stable sister. And now I want to write about like the one who's like a little bit more of a free spirit and whatever. Um, and with my books, I think with Beach Read, it was like, I wrote about the, the these sort of opposites attracting and these enemies to lovers. And then I was like, okay, I want to write about like friends, like people who are yeah. like, you know, really close already and like, like each other and how do they fall in love? And then, um, with beach or with book lovers, it was like, oh, I want to write about people who are really, really similar. And I also, you know, like who kind of seem like the villain of something, just like always a few details and that kind of springboard into the next one. So with Happy Place specifically, there were a couple different ways that this happened. One was that I had just written Nora, who loves her career so much. And her career is like the most important thing to her. It's her highest priority. Um, and that's sort of like affirmed by the book that that's like an okay way to be. And so partly I wanted to write a character who like maybe doesn't love her job and is sort of like, I don't know, like, what do I do? Am I supposed to love my job? Like, like my job just doesn't feel that important to me. So I wanted to to play with that. And then the other thing is I have like this character in Book Lovers of Shepherd who's sort of like... Um, he's Charlie's cousin and he's sort of like the all American boy next door, like Hallmark movie hero who's just like hot and wears flannel. And he's like, <laughs> you know, surprisingly smart, went to Cornell, but is also just like, I build houses now and uh, really good with his hands, all of that. And, and the, the conceit of that book was like, yeah, he's great, but he's not great for Nora. He's not Nora's guy. She doesn't, that's somebody else's guy. And so a little bit, when came out of Shepard a little bit being like, okay, but that is somebody's guy and let's see whose guy that is. So there is something that happens that I think is also partly why the tone of the books can kind of seem like they're oscillating where I'm just kind of reacting to what I just wrote and wanting to do something different. And so like for my next book that I can't like say any like specific details about, but 
it was kind of the reaction to happy place where it was like, I want to like happy place is so angsty and melancholy, even though there's a lot of humor in it. And I was like, I really just want to write something like funny and like, that just like kind of feels good the whole way through. Um, so yeah, so it's like, I, I think you can chart kind of the, the waves of my books and it makes sense because I'm just like, always like, okay, I just did this. Now I want to go do this thing instead. That is so interesting. I, I love that. It does make it because I've had just like a few of my friends ask me what one of your books they should sort of read first. And I do think the best way to get into the world of your books is to sort of read them in order because you sort yeah. of join, join you on that. On that journey. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they work in any other in, in any other order, but there is a part of it where it's like you're part of the conversation in my head if you read them in that order. This is an okay way to be. This is also an okay way to be. And I think so much of it because we saw, I I don't think as much in romance like fiction, but in movies, I think we saw for so long one kind of story about what a love story should be and who a woman should be and then like who a man should be. And, um, And I think that's something I really like about getting to stay writing this genre for a little bit is just to like affirm every different kind of person that there is and be like that's fine you don't have to be like that other person that's not the only way to have like a a a love story yeah absolutely I think um and I don't I don't want to make like a huge over generalization of the romance genre but I think a lot of times we did see a lot of girl next door or Mm -hmm. the guy worked on Wall Street and now he just wants to be a homebody and um I think I do think films are also having sort of a resurgence too with like lost city and all of these like new rom-coms but i do think it is so cool your characters feel so alive and they're not afraid to be too much um and they're they just are very very vibrant and it does remind me i read an article or maybe something on social media where you said a lot of your protagonists have like a little piece of you does it get easier to write that or do you feel like there's one that you relate to the most oh my gosh I don't think any of it gets easier (laughs) so far but I think now I have realized it's a good way to investigate something that I want to investigate and so it's a little bit more intentional now. Like I didn't really realize until I was doing an interview about it, that, that I, that I do feel like I put this piece of myself into every character and that makes it scarier. But with happy place, I think it was the first time I wrote a book where I thought, I want to think about this piece of myself. Actually, no, it was the second time because with, with beach read, I was like, writer's block. What is writer's block? What's going on with me? Like, why is it so hard to do something that used to come so naturally? And uh, it became like my way of wading through that and understanding it. And with Happy Place, it was kind of the same thing, but for like people pleasing, it was just like, why do I do this? Like, how do I stop? Why is it so scary to confront someone or to say how you really feel or to even disagree with someone? Like, why is that so scary? What do I think is going to happen? So I don't think it's gotten easier, but I think now I see the value of it more clearly. Like, I'm just like, oh, I get to write a book, which I love doing. And I can also spend that time in this fictional story processing something that I'm trying to process in my real life or um, incorporate into my real life. And so that is really cool to realize that I can do that for, for myself and hopefully a little bit for my readers. 
but yeah, it's like, you know, what you were saying, it's so, it's so nice that you feel that the characters are vibrant and that they're not afraid to be too much, but I think I'm afraid for them to be too much because of that. And that was kind of what I was getting at with that uh, interview was just the idea that every time I write a new female character, I'm putting like one of my own, my own insecurities into her Mm -hmm. and um, kind of amping that up to 11. And, and it's so scary because if you spent any time on Goodreads or talking to writers, you know, that it's a thing that like, people hate female characters like it's so hard just like it's like hard to be the right kind of woman in real life it's like very hard to be the right kind of female character because you're like you have to be pleasant and friendly but not I I don't know it's just like trying to find some magical imaginary balance but for characters it's like you have to kind of disregard um like how how much you want your readers to like them and instead be like just who are they like that like you know I can't veer from who I believe they are Yeah, I think that definitely makes sense. And I notice it a bit too, just, um, but it's something that I reminded me in Beach Read. And it's a bit that I flagged years ago when I first read the book, because I had just started really getting into reading romances, but it still felt like something that, you know, people loved romances, but sometimes it can be a genre that people were a bit more critical of. And written if you swapped out all of my Jessica's for John's, do you know what you'd get? Fiction, just fiction. But somehow by being a woman who writes about women, I've eliminated half of the earth's population from my potential readers. And you know what? I don't feel ashamed of that. I feel pissed. And I just, I I loved that. And I was wondering if that was something you felt you had related to, or now, you know, as I had mentioned before, I think that the genre of romance is really just getting so much more respect and sort of having mm. this second resurgence. Do you think it's something that readers are just so much more eager to read? Yeah. Yeah. Yes to everything. Yeah. I really, I, I have to, there, so there have always obviously been romance readers. There have always been people who understand yeah. what is beautiful and meaningful about romance. But I think that the reason we've seen such a huge influx of new romance readers is partly because we have been surviving something very traumatizing (laughs) for the last few years on a global scale and people want something that has some level of hope and comfort that's like guaranteed you're like don't know what's going to happen but there's going to be a happily ever after which means we're leaving on a note of hope and we're saying that that this piece that we're reading about this one beautiful aspect of life um so i think that's part of it and then i also just really feel like for I maybe I guess because they were like largely raised by like Gen Xers maybe I'm like trying to figure out the right thing but like Gen Z is not they don't have the same hang-ups I don't think yeah largely that that millennials had growing up where it was like we were so we were in like whatever wave of feminism was the one that was like we can be exactly like men and boys and and what we really mean by that is like we can socialize like, you know, we can be exactly how men and boys are socially socialized to be. We can be like really into all the same things we're telling boys they should be into all the time. Um, we can do that as girls too. We can, you know, whatever. And so we were like in that wave of feminism where it's like, I like, no, I like all of these things that are being treated as uh, traditionally masculine or whatever. That's what's cool. And that's what's smart. So that's what I like. And Gen Z is just like, I like what I like. And, uh, <laughs> and I don't feel like embarrassed to like this thing because there's nothing embarrassing about it. And so I think that they're, 
willingness to publicly love love stories and gush about them and stories that involve sex and sexual pleasure, specifically a lot of times women's pleasure. I think that their willingness to just like talk about that, like it's no big deal, has brought a lot of readers from other generations in too, to be like, oh, I guess that it isn't innately shameful to like reading about women and love. Like, I guess that those things are okay. So I'm really appreciative to to everyone who has kind of made that that transformation start happening. But I will also say that you and I are book people. So that means that the culture that we're a part of is like this book culture. And Mm -hmm. sometimes I'm really jarred when I'm talking to someone outside of like the more bookish publishing related community. I'm really jarred to learn how persistent and pervasive um, that kind of stigma it still is around romance. And it's so interesting because it's like you can look at you can look at any (laughs) Publishers Weekly article basically and see that people are buying and reading romance more and more and more as time goes on. It's the best-selling um, genre right now. It's like other things are starting to kind of ease off as we kind of get back into like the post or, you know, current, the pandemic world. of just like figuring out the new normal. Uh, book sales are easing off, but not in romance. Like romance is still a growing uh, genre that people are really excited about. So you think like, oh, this is common knowledge that it's okay to like this kind of book Mm -hmm. and to see the value of this book. And it's not embarrassing. And it's not something that like people are like laughing at or mocking. But then you'll have just one jarring conversation and be like, oh, wow, I'm just in a little like romance bubble now. People are still really shitty about this. Like I was at my dentist like a year ago and he asked what kind of thing I wrote. And I said, I said it and he said, well, I guess I won't be reading any of your books. And I was just like, okay, like, I don't want you to read my books. You're my dentist. I didn't even want to tell you what my job was, but, <laughs> but you made me tell you. And then you yeah. insulted me. And then you also don't even know you insulted me because it, to you, it's just such a given that like, well, I'm a man, so I'm not going to read that. Yeah. And, and I'm also just like, I'm on such a high horse about this. You're just like <laughs> waiting for uh, the the end of the rant. But I will just say one more thing, which is that I have been thinking lately because I also now have like these adaptations in the works. So I'm talking mm-hmm. to a lot more people in Hollywood and I'm seeing that version of the conversation. And I have to say, I do think that it's still significantly behind the publishing conversation. Um, and it's really interesting because when you think about like the biggest grossing movies, the last decade, it's all Marvel movies, which I'm sorry, are relationship movies. Like that's what they are. There's like, we added aliens, but they're relationship movies to the, their very core. The reason we love them is not because they're punching an alien. It's because you want to see Robert Downey Jr. Be like a reluctant mentor to a cute little teenage Tom Holland. Like relationships are what make those movies work. They're why people care. They're why you cry. They're why like you follow them from franchise to franchise or from, from film to film. Um, and it's almost like we can only talk about love if we hide it in a different kind of story. And I think that's so weird. (laughs) So weird. I I don't even worry about your rant. I get on my soapbox all the time. And like anyone who will listen to me, I think that romance is so important. When I first started dating my partner, I like gave him a stack of romance books. Yeah. You're like, here's your education. And you're going to understand like a lot about my worldview and about my self-worth and my respect now, like from reading this, you're going to know what I require. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And they're also, I think 
I think so often, so many people get so caught up in in genre, whether it's mm-hmm. like romance, they see the colorful covers and they think it's right. just all about women being women. Or even I've seen it happen a lot with crime. They see like the dark, gloomy cover and they're like, oh, yeah. that's for like elderly people who right. are at home. And it's not true, especially we've said it like here and I've read so many romances that are a important because of their portrayal of women and female pleasure and good, secure romance, romantic relationships. But also there are so many that are about family and like Mm -hmm. mother-daughter relationships and friendships and your career. And I just think it's such a shame and I don't know how to get everybody to hear me, but there's Well, it's so tricky because on the one hand, you're like, okay, we know that people do love romance and that they know that romance. So we need to package this book as romance because we're not like trying to um, like put away romance readers. We want romance readers. We love romance readers. They're the best readers. (laughs) We want them. So we'll we'll package this book so that they know that this is what they are used to and what they're looking for and what they're expecting. But there's, yeah, but then there's that feeling of like, well, how do you get the people who don't yet know that they love romance or that, you know, who don't understand that romance novels are have it just as wide of a spectrum of um, quality and issues and whatever that any other genre does. And, and that's really tricky. I feel like when, when the, uh, the little cute illustrated covers first became a thing, that was part of what brought in this whole new readership because there are people who had been like familiar with sort of like the chick lit, like, subgenre of women's fiction uh in like the 2000s and so seeing these cute covers it was like maybe less daunting to an uninitiated romance reader than seeing the traditional like clinch cover with like two hot people embracing half naked so they're like oh i can read that like on the train and i won't feel like people are judging me whatever and um so that brought in a whole new readership but now we all see that cover and we're like we know that's romance and that's great for those of us who are looking for romance but it is kind of that thing where you're like how do we get through to the people who aren't having these conversations who aren't part of this community, who aren't meeting prospective partners who are like there to tell them why they're wrong. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a struggle. Yeah, it's a shame, really. I hope, you know, I am so hecking jazzed for your film adaptations. I hope it it brings a lot more viewers in. To... I hope so. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. It's like it's like everybody I know wants more romantic comedy films. Like, and I think that that like Hollywood wants to make them too, but there have just been a lot that haven't like performed well. And it's just this kind of thing where they're yeah, they're just catching up. And every single romance author I know is like, listen, let me help you. <laughs> I can tell you, I can tell you how to do this. Just let me in the room. Um, but. Yeah, I'm really lucky to actually have an amazing screenwriter or two amazing screenwriters working on mine. So I'm like, we're in good hands. Just got to get there. Exactly. It'll be good. I I genuinely, I can't wait. Um, Thank you. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, okay. I know that we are slowly running out of time here, but I want to ask you hopefully one final question. My boyfriend is English, so he taught me shag, marry, avoid, which feels <laughs> appropriate. <laughs> Yes, right. Shag, Mary, avoid is like the most. Yeah, totally. I'm like, got to remember that so I don't say the other one um, (laughs) on a live mic. Yeah, I like that one. I like that one because it's so hard. But I think, and and I think my answer would change from year to year. Um, But so for everyone listening, we are playing. (laughs) 
<laughs> yes, I marry a void with the, specifically with the men from my books, correct? That's yes. the plan. It it is it is hard because you're like, well, I don't really want to avoid any of them. But my answer would change depending on the year. I feel like I'm changing, I'm growing. I think probably Shag Gus this is so hard. I'd probably marry. I'm kind of between, gosh, this really is so hard. Realistically, I would say when I think like Charlie, I think was who I would have said before when, but I think I'd say when, even though he's got like a rougher journey than, than pretty much any of the other male leads that I've written. I, I feel like his, his heart and soul, I just know and love. Um, so I'd probably marry him. And this is so sad and unfair to him, but it's more about me. I think I would avoid Alex just because I think that we would be incredibly bad for each other. <laughs> I think that we would have I think I would have a crush on him and maybe he'd have a crush on me but I think that it would just go down in flames so I think that it's best if I just leave him to Poppy and that's kind of my answer do you have an answer oh that is a good okay I think um see this is why we avoid so we don't have to murder anybody <laughs> yes right <laughs> um I think I would also avoid Alex I would say, I know, I'm sorry. He's just not for me. Yeah. Um, I would shag Charlie and marry Gus, I think. That's great. You know what? You really can't go wrong. I think either one of them would be a great shag. So (laughs) I think so. I think any of them would be, but you know, but, but specifically probably the two of them. I'm thinking about this a little bit too much now. <laughs> Why not? Which are, yeah, yeah. I'm just like, which of these people I made up would be better at sex? Really hard to say. I guess it's really up to you. It really is. It's up yeah. to me. And so I will say that in your scenario and in my scenario, we are both correct. Amazing. Perfect. That's beautiful. Well, Emily, thank you so much for joining us. Um, it was so wonderful to talk to you quickly before you go. Um, do you have maybe a well-loved or favorite independent bookshop where people can yes. this happy place? Yes, my my local and favorite bookstore is Joseph Beth. They are fantastic. They are um, like a, a little home to me, and I love them. And they might still have um, signed copies. They might not. I would definitely say anytime. I tout possible signed copies, always call the bookstore and make sure they still ha- have them in stock because it can happen that they're listed somewhere, but you know, then it shows up and it's not signed. So make sure you call, call ahead, call ahead. If you guys are interested, I will link the bookshop as well as Emily Henry's social. So you can follow her writing journey. Um, Emily, thank you so much. This was so lovely. This was wonderful. Genuinely wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. And um, we look forward to book number five and everyone enjoys Happy Place. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you. And yeah, hopefully uh, maybe we'll do this again next year. We'll see. I'd love that. I'll see you then. Me too. (laughs) Sounds good. It's a date. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks. You too. Bye. Bye. Well, we heckin' did it, you guys. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, share us with your other bookish friends and family. And if you're listening with Spotify or Apple Podcasts, be sure to rate and review the show. I am off to do my newest video for our Patreon. I am now doing a series where I will be talking about all the books that I am currently reading every single month. 
as I no longer have an Instagram to post about them. <laughs> um, and if you are interested in joining our Novel Finds community on the Patreon, please follow the link in our bio. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at Novel Finds Podcast. Thank you so much for being a novel friend. We will see you all next week. Thank you.